So I went and rented a refrigerated 26 foot truck. And then I drove 70,000 eggs. How did you not like crash? I was so bad at driving it, but (laughs) (laughs) and you were holding 70,000 eggs. Like it would have been the, it would have been the end of farm link. Hey. How are you doing? I'm doing really well. I've been pretty busy, but it's a good busy, you know? Yeah. You are from LA, right? Yeah, that's where I am right now. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Cool. Yeah, I'm from the Bay Area, so grew up in California. I like it. There's um, a lot of people people working on FarmLink who are in and around Berkeley and Marin and all those areas really? up in. Yeah, a lot. Oh, wow. Are they from Brown or just from all different states? Mostly from Stanford, yeah. Okay. And then what year are you at, Brown? I'm a junior. Okay, you're a junior. Okay, cool. And then what do you study? I study political science, uh, comparative politics. Oh, got you. Okay. That's sort of unrelated from what you're doing now with FarmLink. I pretty much usually work in for internships and what I want to go in afterwards is filmmaking, basically. So totally unrelated (laughs) um but that's kind of been the nature of it with a lot of these students it's not like we're having all business majors come in it's just people from all over who are just learning as they go that's true how did you get into filmmaking i'm kind of filmmaking i I, I always i always loved it and then and i would always make like short films and stuff when i was younger and as i got older i kind of transitioned more into documentary filmmaking so freshman summer, uh, I went to Nicaragua and made a documentary there on civil conflict, but the, the riots and protests that were going on in the summer hmm. down there. And then I did one in, in Lebanon, about the Syrian refugee camp. And that's what I really love doing. And it's completely unrelated, obviously, to FarmLink and that kind of stuff. But Oh, cool, though. That's crazy. And then did you also enter at A24 at some point? Yeah, that's- yeah, I did. Wow. What did you do there? What I really loved doing for them was uh, script coverage. So they would work with the acquisitions department. And it's really nice lady Vilma there. She's awesome. And she would get basically give me scripts and I would read them from agencies, from like legitimate professional writers that could have been actual, you know, actual prospects for movies. And I would read them and then give my opinion on them. And I could either turn them down or say yes and pass them on. So I had a, like a little modicum of power there. Yeah. Uh, but it was enjoyable. I really liked doing that. Wow. You had so much power. <laughs> I was like writing reviews for these scripts basically and then I would get to sit in on like editing rooms and stuff like that that's so cool yeah like A24 is really sick I feel like all their movies that they produce are really unique the Mm -hmm. ones that they've done that I really liked are Lady Bird and Moonlight and like Spectacular Now they're older a little bit but yeah those are some of their best they have a really unique vision on the film industry right now which is kind of being swallowed by these like mega productions yeah. You know, a lot of like art house independent studios and independent films are kind of getting marginalized by stuff like the Avengers and, and Marvel, et cetera. And um, to be both fiscally successful and successful at like the Oscars is something that not a lot of people are doing. That's so true. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Because they're not as big as like the huge big budget movie production companies, but they're still making it out there, as you said. Yeah. And I feel like that your experience creating films connects a little bit to what you're doing with Farmland because you're creating something out of nothing, essentially. Could you explain a little bit about what FarmLink is? Yeah, the elevator pitch of FarmLink is that we find farms that are, have surplus produce that they don't know what to do with, uh-huh. with food banks that need that surplus produce. So the reason they have surplus produce, I mean, food waste is a 
gigantic problem even under normal circumstances in the U.S. But it's exacerbated even more now because basically these gigantic commercial farms that would service usually think like chain restaurants and schools like Brown and that basically had these huge orders of produce to fill. When all those restaurants and schools, et cetera, closed, those orders went away and these farmers were left with not surplus. A lot of farmers are dumping millions and millions of gallons of milk and burying produce in the ground because it's cheaper for them to do that than anything else. Yeah, which is such a waste. How did you even start this idea, though? Like, how did you become aware of it? I started with my friend James Knopf, who I actually worked on documentaries with. Uh, he's a sophomore at Stanford. We've known each other, as a lot of people were, and especially students, because we had just gotten home from school. We didn't know what was going to happen. Uh, our schools had paused, et cetera. And we read this, we'd read a couple articles, but namely this one in the New York Times about farmers around the country who are bearing millions of pounds of produce. And that seemed insane. And at the same, of course, and at the same time, we had a personal connection with this food bank here in Los Angeles called Westside Food Bank that we each worked at when we were younger. And I spent a month working there in high school. And oh. uh, we would each work there. And one of our best friends, his mom is highly involved. And we were just hearing from him and hearing from her about how they were burning through their supply and how many new people were coming to the food bank. Okay, let's just try to help out Westside Food Bank. Let's try to let's try to help out our local food bank by connecting them to one of these farms with a bunch of surplus. Uh -huh. So that's where it started. It didn't start with this big idea to move food all around the country. It started with just trying to get one farm to one food bank. Right. Um, so then once you identified the problem, so you're like, okay, so I see this food bank that we used to work at and then all these farms that are wasting so much food. And then how did you actually connect the two? Yeah, we started by going back to those articles we had been reading, uh, specifically the New York Times. And we called one of those farmers. It was Shea Myers in Idaho, who's an onion farmer was burying millions of pounds of onions and we talked to him and learned about his problem and we're like okay we'll take a truckload of those onions 50,000 pounds and we'll get it down to food banks here in California what do you need for us to do that and he was like if you can cover cost of transportation like I have a truck that can take these and I need to also be able to pay the guys who who are going to help load it etc so then he gave us a price and we reached out to friends and family to raise that money and we paid for it and it got all set up. And so when we did that, we were like, okay, this is a relatively like simple, repeatable process. We just need to figure out that these farmers are willing to give away the surplus produce and these food banks are absolutely in need of it. So we just need to figure out basically the transportation and that link of communication and then raise money to help pay for it, to help these farmers. Got you. How much was that initial, like roughly, how much does an average farmer need to cover the cost? That initial transportation was, and this fluctuates depending on, on the farmer's needs. And that's right. something we pay attention to is that we, we want to communicate with the farmer and be like, okay, you know, half of like our mission statement is making sure that farmers are helped as well. So the price has changed. That part, that particular one was just about a thousand dollars for fifty thousand pounds of onions. Oh wow! And that does seem cheap because it is cheap, but they were in a situation where it was like a dump or donate. Yeah, that's crazy. If they weren't donated, then they were going to literally in the ground. Right. And then so you like cold call them essentially, and then you were just like, "Hi, I'm a college student who wants to deliver your onions or something." Yeah, yeah, exactly that. How does that. It's actually easier than you'd think. We're still doing this, but we just researching online and cold calling and doing our best to let them know that we're just trying to help and that we're students and we're just trying to help and we have a volunteer network. It's definitely kind of, at the beginning, it was really awkward and people were confused. Now that we've had some press and stuff, people may have heard of us and then it's a kind of an easier foot in the door. But yeah, at the beginning, I remember we were just sitting there just all day calling farms and our success rate was low. Yeah, and now you guys have gotten on what the New York Times, ABC News, 
news, like Fox News, all these different coverages, which has been really cool. Have you been able to leverage the news coverage well since appearing on those places? Yeah, the biggest thing when we have press like that is getting our website, making sure they they put our website in the description or in in the interview, whatever it is. Okay. Uh, when they don't put the website, it's still great. And when it still gets the name out, people become more familiar. But when they do put the website, we have literally thousands of people. If something like ABC or NBC, which is coming up, or, or New York Times, or whatever, like mm-hmm. thousands and thousands of people go to the website and they can see where they donate and they can see where they can sign up to be a volunteer. And so we've gotten just literally thousands of volunteers and tons of donations. And on top of that, they can see where they can contact us. So food banks and farmers who see that have reached out to us. So it's gotten to a point where we are not the ones reaching out as much as we're used to compared to people who are actually coming to us, which is great because we can pinpoint where the need is most. Right. Okay. So now it's kind of like a reversal. So it's less of like you actually seeking the demand and the demand's actually coming to you, which is pretty cool. Mm -hmm. And then how many volunteers slash donations have you gotten so far? I mean, working on this right now is about 95 students. That's like the people who are fully working on this. Mm -hmm. And then in terms of volunteers who have signed up through the site, we have over a thousand wow maybe close to two thousand now we're working like every day on a way to integrate those volunteers because this is a repeatable simple process like i said like i'm a political science major nothing to do with trucking or farms or food banks for this so you don't have to be an expert like we brought people onto this project and then within two days they are making connections for truckloads of food going to food banks so we can really use those volunteers and we're figuring out a way to do that in terms of donations a lot uh we <laughs> I mean, it's been all through social media and that kind of grassroots fundraising uh-huh. website. It's just remarkable the amount of people from all over who have not only offered up money, but also have offered up, they've been like, hey, I, you know, a guy in Kansas, I, hey, I have a truck and I'm, I, if there's any way I can help, I would love to transport stuff in my truck. I mean, oh. I got an email yesterday from this like, sweet old lady <laughs> Midwest who has, who had a 70, she has a garden in her home and she was like, can I send you guys these vegetables? Oh my God, that's so cute. Yeah. Okay. So like not just money, but also just the means to actually operate the whole movement. Yeah. So are you having the volunteers contribute by cold calling farmers? The short answer is yes. Uh-huh. We'd like to help volunteers get involved in actually making the connections because that's something I've always thought was important. Like I would volunteer in the past and sometimes it would just be going and like putting on a, a shirt and scooping food on people's plates for five hours. But what really felt impactful is when you're like actually doing the thing. That's what we want to do. We want to have like a, a really dynamic workflow for the people who sign up. And then going back a little bit. So after you and your friend James delivered the very first delivery and you guys were like, okay, this is something that we can repeat. How did you go about actually scaling that up? Yeah, we brought on a couple more friends. So then we had a little team of people calling farms and calling food banks. We were focusing on the West Coast in California. When we find a farm, then we'd find a food bank who would do it. And it was about like six of us in the beginning who were just doing the same thing on the phone all day. Mm-hmm. As we got more deliveries done in that same process, then the New York Times article came out, which then brought us a lot more donations and a lot more people willing to help and just a lot of attention in general. So yeah. it kind of increased the capacity of that we could work at. Okay. So we started creating these teams, basically, and we created farms team, 20 people, like totally devoted to finding farms. And then a food banks team that's doing the same thing, but on food banks, like when food comes in, we have 20 people calling all over, figuring out 
who might need that produce most. And then we had people coming in who were interested in like making Instagram for us and making content. So when we built that out and we had people who were like, hey, you guys are gonna need some fundraising in other ways. I can focus on that. So we built about six teams right now so that each person is put in a spot where they feel they can help the most and where they want to help the most. Right. And so we have these kind of isolated functioning teams that are all just communicating in this larger network. And it's been really operating like a a company in a way now. Right, Uh, because I was gonna ask, how does the coordination work Work amongst all of the teams. Yeah, we have little sub teams called deal team and DevOps team. And they're the ones who are kind of the ones bouncing between all these big teams. These are people who are really good at specializing like, hey, I just talked to these guys, this is what they need. If you can get me this info, I'll get it back to you. And I'll make the connection. But that's something we're focusing on improving always, you know, especially as we keep getting more and more people, we're continually refining to make sure that we're a cohesive unit, you know, what's going on in media is like really connected with the actual deals going on. And it's a learning process. Right? Because I imagine streamlining the whole process of actually first of all closing a deal and then actually executing it as long as you make it efficient and almost similar for every single deal that would increase the efficiency like by a lot but obviously that's super hard to do big time i mean the 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 method we have going on right now is actually pretty efficient it'll be like Okay. Okay. Let's say I'm on the farms team and I'm calling around and I find a farm that's like, Hey, I have 50,000 potatoes here and I can give $70 for 2000 pounds. Okay. Then I would take that information and like basically post it in the food bank chat. And let's say you're on the food bank team. Then you'd be like, Oh, I have, I have some free time. You'd be like, all right, I'm on it. And you call around the food banks, find who would want it. And then we would do the whole deal, see it through end to end between you, me, the food bank and the farm. So there can be five deals going on at once with 10 people on them. Okay, so, so it's kind of it, whoever connects with the other person who's like asking for something. Yeah, okay. and it's just a flow of information. I mean, at our core, we're just a middleman and we're just pro- providing the connections. We partnered with Uber Freight, so we have the capacity and the ability to make shipments. And on most of ours, we do because either the farm or the food bank doesn't have the transportation means right now. But in the most ideal sense, we're, we are just a removed middleman that's just making that connection. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then adding to the Uber Freight Partnership, how does that help? Do they provide you with transportation means? Yeah, they do. They provide the type of truck we need to move, let's say, 50,000 pounds of like broccoli. And we'll say we have that 50,000 pounds of broccoli in Maine and we have a food bank in New York that might need it. So then what we do is we go to Uber Freight and we basically plug in the two locations and the time, et cetera. And it works just like Uber and they're able to go pick it up and and drop it off. Right now we're at a deal where it's for five deliveries a week they're doing for free. So it's something really great that they're doing. And they're they're doing that with Feeding America as well, which is another big food rescue movement basically. That's crazy. Yeah. Cause I was going to ask how much that costs. Yeah. And on average, how many deliveries are you doing per week? It's, it's increasing every week. I mean, you know, we're only like five weeks old or something. What is it today? Right. May 28th. And we started on like April 15th. Yeah, so that's... a little longer than that. And each week it's been almost doubling. You know, we went from 50,000 pounds to then a hundred thousand pounds and then it was 250,000 pounds the next week. And then it was 600,000 pounds. And then this past week, now we're over a million pounds. So that's incredible. Yeah. It's, it's increasing every week. Awesome. And then also, you guys are fiscally sponsored by food finders, right? In order to get donations and in order for also for farmers to get tax write-offs for the food they donate, which is something that they're eligible for, we would need a 501c3 registration, which is basically a government check saying, you know, you're a registered nonprofit. But that is something that takes sometimes months to get that official registration. So we were like, okay, well, we don't have the time to do that right now. We can't wait around for that. So let's find an organization who we can help and then who can kind of host us and fiscally sponsor us so that we operate under their 501c in the meantime. 
Uh, and we found food finders by the same process, just calling around, literally calling and explaining what we want to do and being like, can we help you? And can you help us? And it was James who connected with them. We got hung up on a lot and then James yeah. connected with them and they were like, yeah, absolutely. And it's been a really good partnership since. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So kind of finding a little loophole there. So you said there's like 95 core team members, right? That are all college students, basically. Yeah. Almost entirely. I'd, I'd say like 95% college students. Some, okay. some are recently graduated. Who are like the core members? It's myself and my brother Emmett and Jordan Hartzell who goes to Brown, Will and Ben Collier who both go to Brown, Max Goldman who goes to Brown, and then James Knopf who's at Stanford, Got and you. Karen Heinrichsen who's at Stanford. Got you. And then all, I'm assuming all the team leads knew each other beforehand? Almost, but not really. The majority of us have really become familiar with each other throughout this process, and a lot of us had not met each other. What are the different personalities of the core team members? James, for example, like he's a vision kind of guy he's always trying to expand and grow up and think big and, and so he's really good at kind of this oversight of just looking at each team and being like okay we can do this better we can do this better like mm -hmm. I personally you know I'm not an ultra organized person but I like to have some like anchor to the ground and make sure that if we have that vision we're doing it in a feasible way and we're not getting ahead of ourselves and making promises we can't keep so I like kind of isolate myself on the deal side Will Collier Emmett my brother there have a lot of insights into the creative side of media and fundraising what we can do there and they like to brainstorm and discuss those kind of things and then Jordan and Caroline and Ben, they're just like awesome. Like we couldn't really survive without them. You know, they're, they're just day in, day out, just on it. So we all kind of pick up where the others slack and, and compliment each other well, which is That's great. a lot of the reason why, why we've done well. For sure. Could you walk me through the entire process from cold calling a farmer to delivering the food to the food bank, like what that looks like. Okay, I'll give an example of this guy in Idaho, um, Doug Hess. We knew that there were a bunch of potatoes being buried and a bunch of surplus potatoes in Idaho. So we started calling farms in Idaho and found this guy who's like, I have basically infinite amount of potatoes just in a pile on my farm. We were like, all right, what do you need in order for us to get those somewhere else? And he's like, I don't have packaging for them and I don't have transportation. So we found the right packaging, bought pallets, and we bought boxes basically sent them to him. He said, okay, I'll be able to have these ready by like Wednesday. The food bank that we we're in contact with in, in California, I mean, we, we ended up shipping several, but we got in contact with ones in, in California and we talked to them and we're like, do you guys want these potatoes? They said, yes, absolutely. We said, okay, what day do you take delivery? And they say like Friday morning. So we're like, okay, our windows between Wednesday and Friday. And then we go to Uber Freight and we see if that's possible. And if they say, yeah, we can get a truck there Wednesday and they can be there Friday, then we book that. And then we just kind of have oversight, constant lines of communication, making sure the truck is arriving there on time. If it's not, then we contact the farmer and we get notification when it's getting sent out all the way until it's at the food bank. And on the food bank end, how do you need this package? Like it's not helpful to send a food bank a gigantic bulk shipment of food because it takes right. labor to, it takes volunteers to then sort that out. So yeah. we're like, you guys want it in like 10 pound bags, for example, when they show up, do you have a pallet jack? Do you have a dock? Do you have a forklift to be able to take these big pallets off? If they don't, then we see how we can get them one. Get all those kind of logistical details and then make sure that it all goes smoothly end to end. And we usually try to have someone either at the farm, but especially at the food bank. Yeah, I feel like there's so many little details that you don't really think about in terms of the execution of the entire delivery. And I'm sure that as most things, you didn't really get it right the first time. Was there any occurrence where something just like did not go right? Yeah, there was one shipment from Idaho of potatoes. We had sent the pallets and we had sent the boxes, but they were loaded in incorrectly. And so it, it's kind of basically the pallets, which are those wooden crates, they need to be facing a certain way in order for a pallet jack, which is a little tool you use to move them and get under it. And they were basically loaded in the wrong way. Thankfully, this shipment was coming down to our partner. It was coming down to Food Finders. And 
And so James and I and a couple others went down to go oversee it. And when we showed up, the truck was there, but 40,000 pounds of potatoes separated into like 6,000 pound boxes were immovable because we couldn't get a pallet jack under there. <laughs> we could not get them out of the truck. And there was like an hour where we put a rope around one of the pallets and then tied it to another truck. And we tried to use that other truck to like yank the thing out, but then the pallet snapped. And then we tried tying around the box and then it just, of course, tipped over the box and spilled millions of potatoes all over the ground. So we, long story short, we ended up scrambling to clean up the potatoes with our hands and get them all into buckets and everything. And, yeah. and then finding another place close by that had a dock which then with a dock they could use to take an actual forklift in there and lift them up. Uh -huh. um, and it was just a humble reminder as like James and I were there like scraping the potatoes out of the corners of the truck and everything that we were like, okay, we got to be careful with all these details because God forbid we make a same mistake with a food bank that we can't be at. Yeah. Just cause more of an issue than anything for the food bank. Yeah, that's wild though. Because I'm sure like... I don't know about James, but since with your background, like you don't know, like you didn't come into this knowing much about farms or deliveries or like food banks or any of this equipment or something. So I guess it's just a lot of thinking on your feet and like going with the flow and figuring out stuff as you go, I guess. Yeah, it's completely that. And um, that's part of our, like our strength was that we weren't like, let's make a startup that then operates nationally. We, we just tried to start with one and then two and then three right. and so on. So that way we were able to learn at a efficient rate and also the things that we didn't know anything about like we brought people who knew more than us that's true uh, we didn't try to pretend that we were experts in it or try to like maintain control over things that we were not experts in we yeah. brought people on who knew more about trucking and we've got a team of, of lawyers who were like we'd like to work pro bono for you guys to make sure that everything you're doing and transporting this food is legal yeah we just were we were just open to being resourceful and 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 listen and contact other people who could help us learn yeah because i feel like a lot of as you said startups or whatever they do a lot of thinking beforehand and a lot of planning um like months and months before but it seems like you guys kind of just dove into it and then learned along the way but then as you said we're really smart about who you brought on and like how you learned so that you didn't repeat mistakes yeah definitely M myself and mostly my brother and james and, and max coleman who's one of the leads at farm link as well they'd worked on a, a, a startup before and i had in some capacities where it's just been like months of planning and trying to make the platform of whatever the startup was fit for a national level and envisioning what we should have for it when it's operating in you know 20 different states and with thousands right. of people and that you just we just get so caught up in that and it often didn't represent what we predicted to be the issues we would face and the needs we would want from people often weren't reflective of what they actually ended up being and so that was like a core ideology it was like if we, we we can't do all that this is such an unpredictable and constantly changing situation mm -hmm. and something we don't know anything about so we can't sit here and plan let's just try to do Right. So the only, the best way is just to jump in and like figure it out as you go. That's what I believe cool. if you start small enough. And then you kind of touched upon it, but what's something that you didn't expect to learn through, be it like contacting farmers or delivering or truck driving, like just something unexpected that you learned? Something that's been unexpected has been, I mean, I, I guess just the overall idea of the fact that it's actually so much easier. I mean, it, that, that it's a little particular to the time right now and just the, the willingness of people in this country to help each other out at this particular moment. But it doesn't necessarily take a degree in business or any prior experience in trucking or any of that to get something done. These networks that are already in place, you don't need to come in and try to reinvent them or crowd the space in what 
in something that people are already doing, but you, but you can utilize them and make it more efficient, even if you're not an expert and you just kind of pay attention to where those gaps are, that people are willing to help and they have an openness to working with you in a way that can better help them. And that's why that someone can hop on in our project and then in two or three days already be making deals mm. is, is that it, there's less of a barrier to entry than any of us, I think, thought. Right. So you're kind of not creating a new product, but just being smart about grabbing people in different areas and connecting them. Something I wanted to focus on was making sure that we didn't come in as call, like naive college students and be like, we're going to reshape the, the food distribution system in the US. Yeah. <laughs> Instead, you know, it's like, we're going to go save the world without paying attention to what systems were already in place and who was already doing what. So instead, there's been this like pretty integrated self-awareness of what we're operating, what we're doing is, is going to be in the places that, that don't have these systems already set up. And where the systems are set up, we're going to make sure that we are operating in a way that helps them most. As we want to make this something that exists to continue helping the food waste problem, even as this pandemic is over, like we're focusing in on tapping into other food recovery systems and working with other companies. And that's like something I'm talking about all day, just part partnerships with other companies that have something that could adopt like the FarmLink process and that the FarmLink process would help. Because I feel like this is such an incredible idea and I'm sure that people have thought about it before, but what are you doing differently than other food recovery networks that you think is making it more successful? On one end, it's the nature of the situation. I mean, like, yeah, in normal circumstances, there isn't a farmer with 100 million potatoes who just has nowhere to put them. Uh, right. It's just, you know, it's, it's one that we've just really poignantly captured the breakdown in the supply system and then tried to be that link to help fix it. I don't know. You know, we're honestly like we, we're trying to identify that right now. It's yeah. like a, it's like a scrappiness a little bit. It's a little okay. it's a, it's a little bit of not being too tied to any networks or saying, oh, we'll only work in this area or we only want to help this type of food bank or uh-huh. we're only make partnerships with restaurants. It's like we're calling everybody and we're, we're calling all the, all different types of farms. And even like just yesterday, did a delivery from a bottling plant that had extra bottles of water. Like we're not tying ourselves to any type of produce or any, or anything that people might, we've, we've delivered 200,000 pounds of salt from Morton salt, like, which seemed crazy, but it's like people need salt. And so we haven't limited ourselves. Like a willingness to be open to anything and through being open to anything, the new experiences can almost teach you something else that you never knew before. Exactly. And along the way, I mean, we don't want to, I want to emphasize that the organizations that have been doing this for a long time, Mm-hmm. they're the real heroes. I mean, they, they, they've been doing this before the pandemic and they're going to continue doing this afterwards. Like they're the people that we kind of look up to and yeah. we don't hold ourselves to any sort of higher standard or think like, Oh, we're coming in and doing this so much better than them. Right. We're seeing how we can help them. Yeah. It's like a whole, we're all in this together type of situation. Yeah, exactly. Got you. And then this one's just like a open-ended question, but is there any crazy story or adventure story from either a delivery or a deal or just something from this past month with FarmLink that has happened? As we were still growing before we had a partnership with Uber Freight, before we had any sort of freight broker we were working with, we started to get food banks, but we didn't have any way to transport them. Okay. So for example, we had 70,000 eggs that were like, they had to get out the door. And then we had, you know, food banks in LA that really, really needed those. We didn't have any way to get them there. So I went and rented a refrigerated 26-foot truck 
<laughs> which apparently you can do normal yeah. driver's license from Penske. We just get a shot in the dark and they're like, yeah, you can rent it if you're, if you have a driver's license. So <laughs> it's like, okay, okay. I rented it and I drove it from downtown LA, then to Van Nuys, picked up these eggs, went to like a loading dock, basically. It was at a, they were at a distribution center, had them all loaded in. And then I drove 70,000 eggs and dropped them off at different locations of food banks around LA. Oh my and God. It was insane driving that truck. Cause yeah. How did like, you not <laughs> like crash? I was honestly, to be honest, and it's like off the right, I was, I was so bad at driving it, but and you were holding seventy thousand eggs like it would have been the it would have been the end of farm link as we knew yeah, it yeah and, and also of course i don't want to endanger other people on the road but exactly I, I was going so i was going very slow and i was getting so many honks <laughs> as i was driving out of the loading dock the guy was like hey just don't make a turn too sharply oh or these will all spill and i was like all right that's so vague like, <laughs> what do you mean what is too yeah. sharp yeah, that's crazy. Oh my god. Well, I guess now you you can put that on your resume. You can drive a QDOS truck. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. I was thinking if I ever want to become a trucker, I can say I have some experience. Yeah, now you have experience. Okay, <laughs> what is like the most challenging thing you're trying to deal with as of now? A lot of us have now who had internships are now kind of pushing back those internships or right. or moving them or whatever the summer plans were so that we can continue working on this throughout the summer okay. full time. And with the focus of making this something that exists once all of us have to go back to school and can't focus on as much as we have. Yeah. And that just broadly speaking is a creative challenge. In order to do that, we need to isolate what it is exactly that question you asked, what it is that makes us different Mm -hmm. or unique in terms of being able to move so much food. And we can make a model of that, isolate it, make a model of that and make it something that is repeatable for other organizations to do and to adopt. And that is a challenge in and of itself because we need to have a lot of self-awareness in order to do that. We don't want FarmLink to be absorbed and stopped existing as its own thing, but because of the press we've gotten and the money we've raised, like we have our own value as our own brand. So yeah. it's going to be really a part, a partnership in a way, but that's all something that's being figured out. And yeah. I, I, I'll be able to speak on that more in like hopefully a month or so, but that's cool. like my day, day to day every day now. Great. I'll, I'll talk to you in a month. <laughs> Perfect. And then for people who are listening or who want to help and contribute, how should they go about that? Yeah. So they can go to our website, which is farmlink.org on there. If they want to volunteer, they they can see, they can click the join, join us button and they'll see exactly. It'll say, uh, are you, are you a food bank, a farmer? Are you transportation? Do you want to volunteer? And you can click that and it fills out this form. Then we get all your info information and we can reach out to you and put, put you in our network. You can also donate on the website or you can read about us to learn more. If they go to the website, that's the best way to get involved in any way. Got you. And who made the website? That was an effort between Max Goldman and Jordan Hartzell. Oh. And now there's people, now there's a whole team of people who are constantly kind of updating it. But that was originally Jordan and, Ma- Jordan and Max from Brown. Yeah, the website's pretty cool. It, yeah. I, I like all the quotes from the different farmers and everything. I think it's organized pretty well. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Okay, cool. Yeah, that's all the questions that I had, but I really appreciate you taking the time to do this and um, chat with me. The yeah, thank you. that you guys are creating is really cool, and I can't wait to see like how it grows later on. Thank you. That was awesome.